Welcome to this exciting sermon from World Impact Community Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more sermons and resources, please do visit us at wscc.in. Good morning, everybody. Over the last few weeks, we have been looking at this precious portion of Scripture in the book of Hebrews and chapter 2. And we've been looking at this Scripture called in Hebrews in chapter 2 and verse 3, how then shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? As I've been thinking and learning and, and meditating on these scriptures over the weeks, I know the Lord has been dealing very strongly in my own heart. A couple of weeks ago, we took on the, on the part of that scripture called this great salvation. How great the salvation is, how awesome it has been. And, many, and oftentimes we're not able to celebrate the greatness of the salvation simply because we have not known how wonderful, how powerful, how beautiful this great salvation is. Couple of weeks, uh, last week we took on the second part uh, of the scripture called, If You Neglect. And these weeks I really want to talk about this portion of scripture. Hebrews and chapter 2, if you would turn that way. Hebrews and chapter 2 and we're looking at verse 3. It says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? After it was first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also bearing witness with them both with signs and wonders the various miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So we saw over the last week, we saw how people neglect this great salvation in so many different ways. How this word neglect actually means that you are not paying proper attention to what God wants you and me to pay proper attention to. Something that needs a lot of, lot of our focus, a lot of our attention. We are not taking time to give it the attention that's due to it. Neglect also means to fail to care for properly to be passionate about, to be careful about, to look clearly towards. And therefore, there are three options that we saw when people hear this gospel or the salvation. We can choose to reject it, we can choose to accept it, or some people choose to, after receiving the salvation, they choose to just neglect it, thinking, now that I've entered into this boat, I'm surely going to get off on the other side, and so therefore, it's okay, let me live however I want. So are you neglecting the salvation of your soul? Are you and I spending time on things that are eventually causing us to neglect the salvation of our soul? So we looked at six things last week on, on what people neglect the, their salvation on. One of the first things people neglect their salvation is on, on, the, on focusing on irrelevant matters of Scripture when God wants us to focus on the more weighty matters of God's word. Looking, people talk about traditions and they talk about ceremonies and they talk about little details of, of irrelevant things. They talk about, you know, should we do this practice or that practice or those churches, they don't do that practice, but they forget to look at the heart. They forget to look at the fear of the Lord. They forget to look at obedience to God. They forget to look at submission of our will. They forget to look at renewing the mind. And so we neglect the more weightier matters of God and we end up focusing on silly things that people fight over and with which we end up neglecting our salvation. Some neglect the pursuit of truth through the right teaching and through good Bible teachers. They neglect the pursuit of truth. They just focus on, they just focus on things that they are interested in. Many people neglect their salvation. It's like a little child wanting to eat the chocolate that this person, this child really likes. Three times a day I want that chocolate and I want you to give me that chocolate. If you don't give that chocolate, I'm not going to have anything else. And you throw a tantrum. And the Bible says by which we are actually neglecting our salvation. Many of us are very, we are preferential the way we follow God's word, the way we look at God's word or read God's word. And the Bible says God does not want us to neglect our salvation by being preferential with the word of God. The third way we neglect our salvation is by not using the gifts that God has given us. Upon our lives, we have a, a gift from God and we don't use it. And because we don't use it, the body of Christ suffers. The church suffers. Because in a place where you're supposed to serve God with all your heart, some, your gift is not put to work. 
And, and, and there's a you kind of serving missing in the body of Christ. And God is saying, why are you neglecting that salvation like that? Because I want you to put your gift to work in the house of God. The fourth thing where we saw was that neglecting our salvation by neglecting the gathering together as a church. The Bible says many people are in the habit of neglecting coming together to worship God. They will come when it's convenient. They'll come when it's comfortable for them. They'll come when they feel like this time, maybe here, maybe there. I don't know. We'll see where we'll go, what we'll do. And what happens is that we end up neglecting what God has planned for our life. We end up neglecting our salvation because we are not obeying by coming together for fellowship, coming together to worship God. So this is what the scripture said. Do not be in the habit of not going for fellowship as some of you are in the habit of doing. And that's one way of neglecting your salvation. Because maybe God has got a word for you that day. And that day you choose, no, I don't want to go. I just don't feel like going today. I just want to stay away. And so we neglect that word from heaven that God would have sent specifically for you and for me. A fifth way we saw was people are neglecting to care for others. Where you and I, we don't want to be inconvenienced to care for other people to give our time and effort and we're neglecting the caring of the body of Christ. And we think, oh, that's the pastor's job. The Bible says that's not the pastor's job. It's the pastor's job to train, equip the saints to do works of service. And so for caring, the Bible says, you know, as some of you that have taken care of strangers have also taken care of angels or maybe you had ministering spirits that came your way. And so by neglecting caring for the body of Christ, we are neglecting ourselves. How can that be possible, Pastor? How is it that by neglecting caring for the body of Christ, how can we be neglecting our salvation? Because if you define salvation as only your method of going to heaven, then it is not relevant. But according to God's word, salvation is not your, your sinner's prayer alone. Salvation is the day you receive Christ, not as Savior, but as Lord. And from that day onwards, until he calls you home, God's asking you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And so when you neglect that, you're neglecting the caring for others. You're neglecting a huge aspect of your salvation. A lot of preachers will not tell you this, but a huge aspect of your salvation is Ephesians 2.10. What is Ephesians 2.10? For, what is it? We are, we are what? We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So what are we created for? To do good works. And that's a huge part of your salvation. So the labor of love of our salvation. And a fifth, a sixth way we can neglect our salvation is by neglecting the fear of the Lord. Why we become so familiar with God. You know, when we live with people, we get very familiar with them. And then we forget what is a godly order, what's a godly place, what's a godly behavior. What's a godly, when sometimes we, as children grow up, they become arrogant with their parents because you're familiar with your parents now and parents are supposed to take care of you. And, and suddenly this becomes very, 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 very important to you that you have your way. You neglect your salvation by neglecting the fear of the Lord. Now, why am I sharing this portion of scripture? I'm sharing this portion of scripture these weeks because the entire book of Hebrews is pitched on this verse. If you study the book of Hebrews carefully, the entire book of Hebrews is pitched on this verse. And the rest of Hebrews is written to explain Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3. How shall we escape? The book of Hebrews is written to the sons of God, to the children of God. And the entire book of Hebrews is pitched on this. Now what many false grace preachers preach is that they say this book was for the Hebrews it was, it was for the Jews it wasn't for the Christians first John was for the Gnostics uh, the gospels were before Christ so it wasn't so which portion of scripture is then for the believers because one by one they tell you this wasn't for them this wasn't for them and they and they lie to you and as a result they that's one of the things I'm going to come to here because that's what the word of God is talking about neglecting your salvation are we neglecting our salvation? If we neglect this great salvation, the Bible says we are possibly despising what God has done for us. We are taking lightly this amazing grace, this amazing work of God. 
And we forget to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And we're taking this grace in vain. So what does the Bible talk about? How does this unfaithfulness and negligence to the faith, how does it come? How did it come into our lives? You see, there is this story that I heard about this, uh, this, this person, this lady one day, who had this huge court case against her. And she urgently needed to see a good lawyer. So people came to her and said, ma'am, you really need to talk to that lawyer. He is very good at his job. He's the one you really need to talk to. Now, she wasn't sure she can trust him. She wanted to handle it herself because she believes, believed that she could solve it. And maybe with her wisdom and her understanding and her goodness and her wealth, she could solve it. But people told, ma'am, you really need to talk to this lawyer. She postponed it and postponed it and postponed it until things begin to go out of hand. She grew older. The case was getting stronger. Finally, she goes to this lawyer and she tells the lawyer, uh, explains the whole thing to him for the next few minutes. He listened to her patiently for a few minutes. And then he said to her, Madam, I'm so sorry you're too late. I wish you had come to me a little earlier because now some time has passed so that I could have fought this case for you. But I want you to know, I just got picked up to be the next judge in this court. And now I can't fight your case. I'm the one who has to judge your case. I was your advocate until a little while ago. But from now on, I'm going to be your judge. I want you to know time is running out when Christ can be our advocate. And if you and I don't give our case into his hand, if you and I don't allow him to be not only our savior, but to be our Lord, to be our master, to be our king, if we don't do that very soon, we are going to see him and he is going to be our judge. And we are going to give an account. The Bible says it is appointed for man to die once and then judgment. And so it's so important for us to really know that. This is the folly of neglect. You know, Spurgeon, he said, there was a great preacher, Spurgeon, he said like this. He shared a story about a certain man who had to go on a long journey, which was before him. He needed to make it across into that city in a whole day's daylight journey. Because it was so dangerous that if he would reach at nightfall, he would not be able to travel even one hour into the nightfall because his life would have been in danger. It would be impossible to travel like that and there would be no place on the, Lord, play on the journey to lodge or to sleep in the night. And he knew that well that the journey was appointed to him and he had to do, do it and the day would soon run out. He could not avoid the journey. He could not pull out from the journey. He had to do the journey and he was determined to do that. He knew that it was important. But then he told himself, well, it's only a day's journey. It's not too hard. I got strong horses. There's time ahead of me. I'm going to do it, but I will do it in my time. So in his stable, there were some fine horses. There were some wonderful, powerful horses that he had. Swift, strong horses. And the carriage stood ready for him to sit in and to travel. And the traveler did not set out in the early morning as though, because he told himself, there's enough time, there's enough time. And that's what many of us do. We tell ourselves, I'm young, there's enough time. When we're in high school, we tell ourselves, oh, I'm still in high school. You know what? There's enough time. Someone, I, I remember when I was in college, I had some friends of mine, and, and they were, at that time, this, um, you know, this uh, prophecy of some Nostradamus was doing the round. So everybody was excited about this Nostradamus prophecies. And... Uh, some article came in the papers or somewhere, and the prophecy said that by the year 1992, the world was going to come to end. And that was about, I, I, I think it was three years, uh, that time we had just come to college and uh, in the late 80s, and, and, and when this prophecy came out. So there was like a few years before 1992. And he looked at all our friends, and, and he suddenly excused my Malayalam, but he said, he said, you know, so which means, huh, what, 92? Before I get married? So for, for him, the return of the Lord was going to be a threat to his getting married. You know, after marriage, I don't know what he's saying. Come soon, Lord Jesus. I don't know. I don't know what he's saying. But, but, but the point I'm making here is we postponed our walk with God. We postponed our obedience. We tell ourselves that is for old people. 
That is for maybe after my retirement, I'll go for more meetings. After, my, after my, those days, because I want to give my best days right now to my friends. He said, I have friends around me. So the king of the country, they had a tradition. And according to the custom of the land, two of his best horses were taken for the king's service. And, the, and this caused the traveler to really get confused and upset. And he was wondering, okay, I know my best horses are gone, but I have to give it to the king because this is the custom of the land. And so he gave his best horses. And after giving his best horses, he knew that he had lost two of his best horses, but he told himself, I still have time. And I still have, I know it's a couple of my best horses, but I got other horses in the stable and it's not too late. So he took two of his best horses and went. Meanwhile, while thus engaged, more of the horses were lost while he spent time with his friends. There was some were stolen and else some of them strayed away. And life's like that. As time goes on, the best years of our life are demanded by the king of the land. They tell you, you got to give it to your career and you got to give it to your work and you got to give it. And he, and he had to give his best horses away. And some other horses, as life went on, some were stolen. Some just, you know, wandered away. Some were lost. And they had, and, and had he had then set out at going to this journey and finishing the journey before sunset, he would have had all his horses, his entire life, everything about him in front of him that he could have done this journey with. But he made a choice. I still want to wait. He said, I want to wait because of my companions. I want to wait because of my friends who are asking me, can you wait a little longer? I want to wait because I want to please my family. I want to wait because I want to be happy. I want to wait because I don't want to pay such a heavy price by wasting my whole day on this journey when the journey can be done by my horses in a shorter time. So he, then he made much ado about setting out because he found out that his time was running out. The day was good spent. And so he said, let me get on my horse. And when he went and looked, one, all he had left was a single wretched horse, a broken, tired old horse that couldn't run like his fastest steads. So he made a much ado about now. I got to go on this journey. So, so many of us at the fag end of our life, we're like this, all we have is this one single old wretched horse. And now we're making a big ado about running after Jesus. We become 70 and we're saying, and we look at everybody and say, Jesus is the only way. Oh, Jesus, you need to follow Jesus. You just lost 50 years of your life. And now at 70, you're thinking, okay, I'm at the sunset of my life. I've got to tell others about Jesus. And you look at the little kids and say, you know what? Your whole life you need to give to Jesus. And then, you know, we, we suddenly, we make, make much ado about this. And he, and he made the journey. And finally, he never made it to the place before sunset that he would have been rewarded. The explanation of the story is simple. A man in his early days with his best years before him is so foolish as to put off the concerns of his soul till he's older. Years follow years and yet he delays, delays even when his last worn, feeble age is all that remains to him and death before it is welcome. Alas, that men should think to perform the most important business of all their life when the powers of our strength is at its best. God's service requires all our abilities in the prime of their strength. And it is wicked as well as foolish to put him off with our leavings and, and endeavors to reach heaven on a worn out horse at the fag end of the day. So many people neglected. Why are we so unfaithful? When, when, when the person the world said made it was saying that he wasted his life. And the person that the world says wasted their life says, I have made it. I look back, look forward to an eternity. So many people, they spend their life in unfaithfulness and in neglect. Why? The first thing that causes us to neglect our salvation is unbelief. Is unbelief. Or if you may, preferential belief. I'll believe this and this, but I won't believe that. The Bible talks about Hebrews, the whole book of Hebrews. Now, why am I taking these things? Because Paul addresses this straight from Hebrews 2. He delves into this issue of unbelief. Hebrews in chapter 3, verse 19. The Bible says in Hebrews 3, 19, So we see that they were not able to enter the rest because of their unbelief. Which means, he's talking about the people of Israel. 
Israel, they had left Egypt, but they did not enter the rest. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, again, the story of Israel leaving Egypt and not entering the promised land is a story in 1 Corinthians 10 where the Bible says this story is given to the believers in the last days as an example. If you may, why would God of heaven use the story of Israel in the wilderness, Israel that left Egypt but never got into promised land? Why would God again, and again, you should go home and read that, 1 Corinthians 10. Why would God again and again say, this story is given for those who are coming in the last days. This is given for your last days. Why? It says like this, it's given as a warning to those who are coming in the last days. What warning? Many that left Egypt did not enter the promised land. Some died because of unbelief. One of the first things he said, they could not enter. Why? Because of their unbelief. So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Straight from there, Hebrews 4.2, the next verse he says, For indeed, we've had the good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united with faith in those who heard. If you have your Bibles, please look at these scriptures. I want you, because you know, a well-worn Bible is a well-lived life. Amen. Your Bible is not a cake for occasions. It is bread for daily use. Amen. So you fill your heart with God's word. Look at this, what the scriptures say. Hebrews in chapter 4 verse 2 says, For indeed, we've had the good news preached to us just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them. Now what is the, what is the writer? What is the writer saying to Hebrews? You had the good news preached to us, the Bible says. Who's the us? He's including himself in that. And it says, but it did not profit. Uh, It says, even though they had good news, just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. The problem is, even though we hear the word of God, many of us are selective in which one we accept as the word of God. Now we say all of it is the word of God, of course, but you know, I'm not sure that one is an important part of God's word. And so we accept it as uh, maybe it's the word of God, but maybe it's not for me. We look at other good verses. What happens to people? They just don't believe that God would punish anybody. They say God is such a God of love, which is true, but it's only half the truth. He's also a God of holiness and justice because You can't be just if you are not love. Why would someone want to be just if they did not have love? Justice is motivated from love. And the Bible says that this love demanded, God's nature demanded that he becomes a merciful God. Mercy comes from love. But justice also comes from love. God is merciful because he is love. God is just because he is love. So you can't have a God who is love, but who is partial. Which means he sees wrong, but he says, no, I don't care. That's okay. No problem. Oh, you're living lad, No problem. Now some people say, but the blood of Jesus washes us from all sin. We're going to look at some of that from the book of Hebrews. Because the book of Hebrews specifically talks about this. What does the Bible say? Look what it says. They could not enter because of their unbelief. That some people, they're not prepared to listen to you telling them that. They say God is a God of love. He would never punish anybody. How often we hear people say that these days? Because they say that this God has finished the work on the cross. And so how can he now punish anyone if they have prayed the formula prayer? There are many people who just don't realize the seriousness of what they're saying. Even people who are born into these Christian homes. They think I'm born into Christian homes. They regularly hear the Bible. They regularly hear Christian TV. They, you know, they go to Sunday school. They sit in church. Sometimes half asleep. Sometimes awake. Uh, You see, uh, one day I heard, you know, and and they neglect their salvation. One day I heard about a story about a man who uh, was given the job of setting up scaffolding. In a building, you know, when you build a building, you put scaffolding and then you pour concrete into the scaffolding. But, and that you also pulled up scaffolding as ladders that you can climb up on top of the building from which you work. So this person was, you know, uh, putting the scaffolding together so people can climb up and they can also pour the concrete into the, into the scaffolding. And so this man who was putting the scaffolding together, 
He was negligent at his work. He said, yeah, no one need to do it, but you know, somehow we'll put it together. It's not really important. And so what he did is he did not tighten the screws properly. And finally, when the workers, they were getting on this because they trusted him to do what he was given grace to do. But he was negligent about his grace. He thought others should build the building properly. But my tank, the scaffolding, yeah, we just need scaffolding anyway. Some people climbed on top of it. And when they, as they were climbing up, the scaffolding gave way. And some people fell to the ground and died. I'm sure this man did not intend it. But even though we don't intend many things, our life costs the life of other people. Our negligence costs the lives of other people. All that this man, this man was not a murderer. All he did was he just neglected what he needed to do. If we neglect our soul, you don't need to reject Christ. All you need to do is neglect what God has for you. One of the things that we, the reasons for, unbelief, for, for our you know, unfaithfulness and negligence is unbelief. Another reason is our outright disobedience, our unbelief. The more we allow unbelief to come in, unbelief to come in, it straight away affects our obedience. Because if I have unbelief, why should I obey? If I don't believe there is a coming judgment, what should I be afraid of? If I don't believe Jesus is Lord, I believe he's Savior, but you know, Lord, yeah, I know that's just a phrase used for God. And in those days, everybody used those phrases. I don't believe. I don't believe he's coming as judge. You see, when there's unbelief, one of the first things that straight away happens to us is we go into a life of disobedience. Why should I obey when I don't believe there's a judgment? Why should I obey when I don't believe that, that, that I need to honor God? Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 6. The Bible says, therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had the good news preached to them failed to enter because of their unbelief. They failed to enter because of their unbelief. You see, which means it's talking about, it's talking about how they had heard the good news, but they could not enter the promises of God. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 6, uh, because of their unbelief. If you would go back and you would see those verses from verse 2 and verse 3, God swore in his wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundations of the earth. Four, verse 4 says that, that, for he thus said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. So it talks about even though they set out, even though they started out, the salvation for many of us is a one moment prayer. We think I'm saved because I said the formula prayer. Father, forgive me. Yes, you are saved. He who believes in his heart is confessed with his mouth. He is saved. That's when your salvation begins. But your salvation is not only a formula prayer. Your salvation begins that day. And then God says, what? because what is salvation? Salvation is like we saw in the, in the first message on this great salvation. If you believe salvation is your ticket to enter heaven, then salvation is a formula prayer. But biblical salvation is not your ticket to enter heaven. Biblical salvation is a transfer of allegiance from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's marvelous light. That is this great salvation. And if you and I minimize that salvation to anything less than a transfer of allegiance from God's kingdom, a devil's kingdom into God's kingdom, if we minimize salvation to a ticket to enter heaven, oh, he'll surely take us to heaven. Oh, he merciful God. Oh, he'll take you into heaven. Why would God want to take the enemies of the cross, people in allegiance to the kingdom of darkness, why would he want to take us to heaven? Now listen to me carefully. Some will say it's a formula prayer. No, salvation is not a ticket to enter heaven. Salvation is an allegiance to the king. That is salvation. Saved from the kingdom of darkness. Saved into the kingdom of marvelous light. Now that you are saved into his marvelous light, the Bible says, if it wasn't for this, why would the Bible say these things? Now that you're saved into God's marvelous life, now the Bible says, therefore, brethren, put off the old man with all its lusts and all and sinful desires. Put on the new man. You see, why does God do that? He's saying, now that you are saved, now that you're in the kingdom, now live as the children of the king. 
Live as Jesus being your Lord and my Lord. Salvation begins the day we're born again. But salvation, this is why the Bible says, now work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What does it mean? Stay in allegiance to the king. Stay in allegiance to the kingdom of light. Some people say, well, God did everything for us. If God did everything for us, then why did Paul write, put off the old man? Put off the lusts. Put off your, put off. And, and why did the Bible say, put on the new man? Which means there is a, our salvation includes some decisions we have to take to change our allegiance from the kingdom of darkness into God's marvelous light. So this unbelief destroys our life. Other than unbelief, disobedience. Neglecting your salvation can be done by simply disobeying the word of God. You know the word of God says that. Some people tell me, Pastor, it's easy for you to say, but we are living in the real world. Like, like we are living in a you know, make-believe world or something. We're all living in the real world. You know, there are challenges all of us have. So when we disobey, what happens? Verse 6 says they could not enter because of disobedience. This unbelief, the Bible says, led people to disobedience. That's what Hebrews 3 and verse 19 says. We see they could not enter because of their unbelief in verse 19. What was, which unbelief? Look at verse 18 and verse 19. If you could throw that for me, please. Uh, work with me on the scriptures. Hebrews 3, verse 18 and 19. And the Bible says, And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? To whom did he swear that, you know, to those that were disobedient? Look at that's verse 18. And to whom did God swear they would never enter his rest if not to those who disobeyed? Now look at the next verse. It says, so we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief, which means this unbelief led to their disobedience and they could not enter the promised land because there was unbelief in their heart and there was disobedience in their heart. Since verse 6, and uh, we saw verse 6, uh, look at Hebrews 4 and verse 11. It says, therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through the following of the same Example of unbelief. Everybody say fall. Everybody say fall. I'm going to deal with that next week. I'm going to talk about this word called fall because it's a powerful truth of God's word and many, many false preachers have lied to the body of Christ. The Bible talks about it. It says so that no one will fall by following the example of disobedience. Now who is he writing to? He's writing to the born again Christians. He's not writing to the unbelievers. Hebrews was written to the born-again Christians. How do I know that? He's speaking through his son, God's word to the sons. And then he says, how? We shouldn't neglect this great salvation that is given to us. So this unbelief led to disobedience. Yes, disobedience, unbelief, disobedience. Now disobedience leads us to the third point. And this third point is, it leads us to uh, deceitfulness of sin. A third thing that tries to stop Christians from entering into which, which we neglect our salvation. Unbelief, I don't want to believe. Or secondly, it was, dis, uh, you know, was disobedience. Thirdly, a deceitfulness of sin. Sin begins to deceive you and me. You see, the terrible thing about deception is that when we are deceived, we don't know we're deceived. We can be deceived by worldly ideologies. We can be deceived by things taught in schools. We can be deceived by, you know, I follow science. I follow a lot of, uh, you know, uh, studies on, uh, on different things. I love reading these articles on science. Recently, they just found out that the Milky Way until recently, they, now they're still throwing theories out there. Until recently, the Milky Way was flat, right? You know, the spiral flat. Uh, just a few days ago, they feel that it's not flat, it's spherical. Um, and until recently, everything started with a, uh, it started with a, a single point Big Bang, right? Uh, they called it the, uh, singularity. They said the entire universe started from, a, from one singularity. Uh, now they feel it's not one singularity. Maybe it came from multiple singularities because the math and the physics are not adding up. So they've got all kinds of theories. And these theories are changing from time to time and place to place. And so what happens is when we are trained in a particular way, in a particular aspect, and not that everything, everyone trains us is wrong, but when we're trained in a particular aspect, that ideology begins to take over our life. And now we have a choice whether we want to believe God's word or we want to believe certain other ideologies. And we are free to do that. But when we do, 
When we believe a worldview, listen to me carefully, a worldview comes with an influence on our decisions. Every worldview influences our decisions. If you believe you came from monkeys, if that's what you believe, then we have nothing to look forward to because we are not created in the image of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I know exactly what I'm talking about, even as I'm speaking about this thing. If you and I believe we came from monkeys, then we have nothing to look forward to because we're not created in the image of God. If we came from monkeys, we're not in the image of God. If you're not in the image of God, then we have, we have no responsibility given to us from God as the sons of God. If you're not the sons of God, we have no eternity to look forward to, which means life ends here. If life ends here, then nothing, then there's no absolute. If there's no absolute, there's no right and wrong. If there's no right and wrong, you can do what you want with your life and no Nobody can tell you what you've done is wrong. If there is no wrong, it straight away leads to lawlessness. If it leads to lawlessness, it'll be nation against nation. It'll be mayhem. It'll be world against world. Can you see this one decision that our, our, where we came from, from whether from God or from monkeys, removes the absolute requirement of morality and makes man fight man. At the end of everything is a lawless civilization that will destroy itself. That's why... I want you to know whatever is our ideology is going to affect our decision and deceitfulness of sin will come in. If I believe I came from the monkey, then it really doesn't matter how I live because I'm supposed to live just like the monkey. You know, we live our life like a monkey. We'll make our choices like a monkey. And I don't know, I heard somebody say like this, my grandfather, you know, I don't know about your grandfather, but my grandfather surely wasn't a monkey. Deceitfulness of sin comes in our heart. And as it comes in, it begins to deceive our hearts, telling us, live how you want. This deceitfulness of sin tells us, I know the word of God says that, but I think it's okay to do like this. I know the Bible says that, but you got to be real. I know this one, but you got to be that. And this deceitfulness of sin comes in, Hebrews 3.13 says, but encourage one another day after day, As long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. When we, when sin deceives us, the terrible thing is when someone is deceived, we don't know we're deceived. And when sin deceives us and we do it again and we sin again and we sin again and sin again, after some time our heart is hardened. Our heart is hardened because of a belief system that led us to sin. And that sin that deceived us, that led us to have a hardened heart now. So the next challenge, why we neglect our salvation, is because of a hardened heart. Many times as we're growing up as children, we see our parents may have come and told us, you know, study, do that, don't wear that. You know, the, you know, sometimes the clothes we wear, hey, don't wear that one. That's not something you're supposed to be wearing. But all my friends are wearing it. I also want to wear it. You know, oh, I look terrible if I don't wear it. Yeah, you know, I'm not living in your time. I'm living in my time. So we have all kinds of debates and discussions. And, and then we get rebellious. We get angry. So I want to do it. I will do what I want. After some time, when we constantly walk in that deception, we harden our heart. We harden our heart until we have children. <laughs> and they begin to wear something on another level. You know, and then suddenly, suddenly the, the, the eyes of our understanding are opened to see what the problem is with the liberty that we were fighting for. I want you to know your liberty can be, can be blinded by the deceitfulness of sin. Your liberty can be blinded by the deceitfulness of sin. So many other people that I have seen through the years, they said, Pastor, I wish I had never fallen in love with that man or woman. Oh, at that time, I couldn't see. Deceitfulness of sin will lead you to number four, the hardening of your heart. Why do we neglect the salvation? Oh, you're hearing this Sunday after Sunday, Sunday after Sunday. This seems to be like a, it's like a Sunday, you know, some messages you feel, some, some churches you go to, it's your Sunday pep talk for the week. You got to be nice. Oh, you're going to have a little fun this week because God is with you. You know, it's a, so that Sunday, it's a Sunday pep talk. Some other churches you go to, it's like your Sunday warning. Fire and brimstones are coming. And so, so it's for your pep talk churches, you're excited to go to church, but you're getting chocolate every week. And to the fire and brimstone churches, you go there and you say, I will make it through half an hour of this. Okay, hang in there, boys. <laughs> Here the journey begins. But I want you to know, 
Chocolate alone ain't good. Fire and brimstone again ain't good. Paul said, I have brought the whole counsel of God to you. I brought the whole counsel of God to you. That none of you will be, you know, misled by the deceitfulness of sin. The sin hardens our heart. It makes us walk away from God. And after a hardened heart, finally, we neglect our salvation because of immaturity. This immaturity, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 to 14. The Bible says some of us are just immature. In Hebrews 5, he talks about faithfulness, how Jesus was a faithful son. But now in 5 verse 14, 12 to 14, for though by this time you ought to have been teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. Paul is saying, Paul is telling the Hebrew people, by now you should have been teachers. Hello, he's not writing to the Jews because why would a born-again Christian pastor write to the Jews and tell them, by now you should have been Christian Bible teachers. But again, you're going to the elementary principle. This itself tells you this book of Hebrews is not written to the Jews. It is written to the born-again Christians, maybe from a Jewish faith. But he's telling them, you have delved into elementary principle. By now you should have been eating solid food. You should have been Bible teachers. Paul is telling, Paul is warning. He's looking at the church and saying, he's looking around and saying, how many good Bible teachers do we have in the church? How many people that can be trusted with what they teach? How many are there who, who, who honestly, honestly divide the word of God? And he's looking at the believers in the church. He's not looking at the pastors. He's looking at the believers and saying, by now you should have been Bible teachers. But even now, oh, you're drinking Baby milk from the mother. He says, for every, he says, for now, you sh- you, you're still on elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to, to need milk and not solid food. You know, think about baby's milk. Even human baby's milk is very thin. Different animals, the consistency of the milk is very different. Human milk is very thin. It's so thin so that the baby's stomach doesn't get upset. And those of you that, that have babies, you know, you don't give that baby spicy dumb biryani you don't do that and the bible says over here he says he says you're still drinking milk week after week week after week week after week now you might say pastor i'm not still drinking milk we are thinking about the deep things of god no but look at what he says the context of hebrews chapter 5 that verse 12 to 14 he's still drinking milk he says because you're not accustomed to meat you're not acquainted. In fact, my translation says you're not accustomed to solid food. You're not accustomed to having the word of righteousness, which means you are not used to getting solid word that will get you uncomfortable. Because the Bible says, because the mature, they train themselves. Verse 14. Look at verse For solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves. What does he say? Paul is saying, he's saying, but there are some people who can't handle solid food, but solid food can be handled only by the mature. They, when they get solid food, when they get the word of righteousness, the word of righteousness challenges them. They feel, oh, that was a tough one, pastor. They got that. They got, they got hit by that. They said, no, oh, that's for my good. I, I know I cannot avoid this word. I cannot only look at candy licking messages. I got to look at the whole counsel of God. And then you get hit next Sunday by another word or in your quiet time with God with another word of righteousness. And the Bible says the immature ones are not accustomed to this stuff. And they feel, mm, you know, when we listen to him, we know there is something wrong because we feel condemned. No, you don't feel condemned, you're trained. The word of God does not condemn you. He gave his son. The word of God is going to train you. Because it says he'll get you accustomed to this word. Therefore, look at this. After saying this, he says in the next words, Hebrews 6, 1, Therefore, therefore, let us leave the elementary principles of God's word and let us go on to maturity. What is this elementary principles of God's word? The elementary principles, he says, is faith, grace, baptism, uh, godly order, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Paul calls it elementary principle. Here, eternal judgment is giving us stomach pain. But the Bible says that is milk. Hello? The Bible says that is milk. Hello, we are having stomach ache, not from solid food. 
Now we are having stomach ache because we are not drinking milk. We are drinking double-toned milk. Pasteurized and skimmed. Double skimmed. Take away everything. Leave only that enough for white color. Take the minerals, take the fat, take the butter, take the cheese, take, take everything away. All you're left is with ultra thin. And when you drink that, ah, nice. And the Bible says, if you know that the word of God offends you, the Bible says, you know you're immature. Which part of God's word offends you? The Bible says, therefore, leaving behind the elementary principles, leaving behind the double-skimmed milk, let us go on to maturity. What is maturity? The word of righteousness, the Bible says in verse 14, chapter 5, verse 14. The word of righteousness, that's leading to maturity. And these mature people, the Bible says, they train themselves. Say that after me, train themselves. They train themselves to maturity, to distinguish good from evil. They look at the word and they look for which is real and which is not real. Mature people lead a faithful life to their call. Mature people become a blessing to the nations. Mature people begin to obey God in a powerful way. This context of maturity was saying, what is the context? Hebrews 5, he's saying like Jesus was faithful. I want you to be faithful because only the mature who can handle hard word of righteousness even know the beginning of how to be faithful to the salvation. God's, God's telling you and me to tell the Lord, bring it on, Lord. Bring it on, Lord. Bring it on, Jesus, that I might really know what it means to become mature. This context of faithfulness in the Bible is one of Jesus being the high priest of our confession, of our faith. This context of Hebrews is one about moving from milk to meat. And this immaturity makes many people fall away from the faith. These are the days we are unfortunately hearing some pastors of mega churches are backsliding and becoming an atheist. And I, did a, I looked up some of the background on some of these people that are becoming atheists from being pastors of megachurches and leaders of movements. And the background you look at, many, many of them are people that have preached and believed the false grace message. The people that have believed that it is God's work and our salvation, just believe what God has done. And salvation is sure because they believe the message of the gospel is a ticket to heaven. The message of our salvation is not a ticket to heaven. The message of our salvation is a change of allegiance on the kingdom of God. Amen. It is moving from darkness to marvelous light. Every eye closed in the presence of God. Today, I believe the Holy Spirit is calling us to come to this place of the kingdom. I believe God is calling our hearts to move from allegiance. The salvation is not just about being saved. The salvation is not about having best of both worlds. The salvation is about wanting to live a life that is in obedience to the King. And today, if there is unbelief in your heart, you've allowed unbelief in your heart, and you've been just listening to the word and saying, I'm not sure I believe all these things. God is calling, knocking on your heart and saying, only believe. God's knocking on your heart and saying, only believe. He's saying, only believe. The word of God is like a double-edged sword cutting through the bone and marrow, cutting deep into your heart. Only believe. This morning, only believe. Some of you are just struggling with disobedience. This unbelief has led you to a life of disobedience. And, and if you are there, and because of that, you're neglecting your salvation, the Lord is asking you to repent right now. Turn right back. Come back. Come back to the love of God. Come back to this amazing gospel. Come back to the ways of God. Come back to the foot of the cross, Jesus. Come right back. Repent for what you've done. Some of you, maybe you're struggling with the deceitfulness of sin. Is there some area of your life that, that sin's just besetting? Maybe, you, maybe there's some area of your life you're missing the mark. 
and it's deceiving you. It's telling you, it's okay, nothing's wrong, everything's fine. The king is calling you and saying, come. If any man sins, we have an advocate with the father. But today Jesus is saying, come, come as you are. Don't let the deceitfulness of sin take a hold of you. Some of you, the deceitfulness of sin has led you to a hardened heart. And if your heart is hardened today, you need to come back to this gospel in a fresh way to understand what this great salvation is. Father, we ask for forgiveness. If anybody here in this place is struggling with a hardened heart, we ask for forgiveness. We ask for the love of God to come in a fresh way today. The love of God to come in a fresh way. That our hearts would be softened with your love, O oh God. We want to think about your love, O oh God. We want to think about your goodness, O oh God. We want to think about your mercy, O oh God. If your heart is hardened, tell the Lord, Lord, soften my heart. I really want to love you with all my heart. And if there are any among you that are walking in immaturity, the word of God offends you. The word of God, you're not accustomed to solid meat, solid food from God's word. You're just accustomed to milk. The Lord is saying, I want you to grow up and become mature because the Holy Spirit is here today. Father, I pray for this church. I pray even as we are pursuing the things of God. We are going to be a generation that will not neglect our salvation will be a generation that runs after the things of God with a mighty faith. With a mighty faith, O oh God. We'll run after the things of God in a mighty way. Father, we submit our lives into your hands. And I pray we repent for things that are turning us away from the ways of God. And we're running back to you, Jesus. We're coming right back, O oh God. We're coming right back to the love of God. We submit our lives, give you the glory. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody said loud, Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. For more sermons, please do visit us at wicc.in.